Okay, we have several questions already lined up this morning. And let me pull my notes here. So the first question is from Krishna Das. Uh, Dandavats, good morning, Guru Maharaj. Yeah. <laughs> good to um, see you both. <laughs> good to see you too. Um, so my question is from something I read in chapter 22 of Jaiva Dharma, um, where Rajanath um, asked Raghunath Das Babaji to describe Sadhana Abhinivesh Jabhav. And the Babaji responds with a couple sentences that I guess I was a bit confused about. I was wondering if uh, I could get some clarification on. So he says, um, this particular Bhav is of two kinds corresponding to the two paths of Sadhana Bhakti, Vaidhi, and Raganuga. Initially, Bhav generates Ruchi in the heart of the devotee, later Asakti, Attachment, and finally Rati. The scriptures in the Vedic science of the performing arts treat Bhav and Rati as symptoms uh, uh, synonyms, and so will I. In Vaidhi Bhakti, Bhav is an unmanifest state known as Shraddha. And first Shraddha matures and becomes Nishta, steadfastness, which produces Ruchi, taste. In Raganuga Bhakti, however, Bhav generates Ruchi right from the beginning. So I guess I was a bit confused because I often hear Bhav as kind of something that comes after Sadhana. Uh, and I guess especially that last sentence that in Raganuga Bhakti, Bhav generates Ruchi from the beginning. So I guess that was, seems like the opposite order from what I had heard mostly. Yeah, well, Bhakti Minotakura seems to be distinguishing the stage of attaining Bhava and graduating, if you will, from Sadhana Bhakti. The goal of Sadhana Bhakti is to attain Bhava, which to it, which he refers to with the word Rati. They're synonymous, but the word Baba can be used um, differently as well. For example, Baba means Rati, but Baba also in Rupa Goswami's um, gradation is another word for Mahabhav, which is the is the, the highest uh, attainment in, um, in terms of development within Prem relative to the Brajlila. So uh, there's two uses of the word Baba. Now he's using it in the opposite way. And he's basically saying um, that that um, that as much as the Baba is constituted of the Sarup Shakti, Krishna's internal energy, the Sarup Shakti is present in the devotee. From the very beginning of his practice, or her practice, it starts to manifest. So he's speaking of it along those lines. Um, so as the Sarup Shakti, the Baba's constitute begins to manifest, then gradually, progressively, the different stages um, in Vaidhi Bhakti um, come into place from from uh uh to Nishta to Ruchi and so forth. And he's distinguishing between Vaidhi Bhakti, which is that scenario, and Raga Bhakti, in which taste uh accrues at the onset 
and and takes one through the different uh, stages, such as the power of frog bhakti, driven by taste, and in that regard, uh, just in Bhakti Vinod's perspective, uh, just as as faith itself has gradations, there may be Kanishtadikari faith, Komal Shraddha, which is tender faith. There's firm faith, and then there's mature faith. So there's Kanishta, Madhyam, and Uttam, gradations of faith, which is the animating principle in life in general and in spiritual life as well. If you have faith, you can move forward. And you can do something. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's active by nature, faith. Um, and with regard, then with regard to Raghunuga Bhakti, he uses the term Shraddhamayi Loba or, or Ruchi. Ruchi Loba, these are two terms used by Jiva Goswami and Rupa Goswami synonymously with regard to that which drives Raghunuga Bhakti. Hmm? Taste, greed, loba, taste, feeling for the, for the subject, and so forth. And it's possible, the idea is, that hearing about Krishna and Krishna Leela, when we just become attracted to Krishna, hmm? regardless of any philosophy, <laughs> he's just, uh, he's just very compelling. People fall in love with him, hmm? uh, and so forth. Uh, so, uh, whereas Vaidhi Bhakti doesn't, doesn't work like that. It's, it's, we practice Vaidhi Bhakti because it should be done, because Krishna is, Vishnu is God, uh, you know, uh, or Krishna is God, we look at it that way as well. So, um, he uses the term Shraddha Mai Lobha. So, Mai means filled. Shraddha is filled with, with Lobha. That, or, or Ruchi using the words that Bhakti Vinod is using here. So, Shraddhamayi Ruchi, uh, faith, right, that's filled with Ruchi, drives Raghunuga Bhakti hmm? from the beginning through the different stages. And someone could develop that that taste from the very beginning. Typically, that doesn't perhaps happen like that. Therefore, just as there are gradations of faith, there are gradations of faith filled with taste, mm-hmm. right? Or loba, shadomai loba. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you're going to find throughout the different texts and so forth, different descriptions of what is loba. It sounds like real simple, like we're just talking about it right now. Or it sounds like, well, it's, it's a very high developed stage. And so, for there, so there's a mature form of that. And a, uh, underdeveloped, I, I guess you could say, or immature form of that. Now, here also, when you use the term ruchi or loba, it's, it's not being used synonymously with the stage of ruchi. So therefore, as I say, you can have, you can have ruchi for Rag bhakti, and that may drive your your practice, and it, it will drive you through an artana vritti, through nishta, to the stage of vritti, to asakti, and and Baba be the driving 
principle. So you can look at that kind of in a, in a broad way, as I'm saying, I just like Krishna and there's a lot of people like them. That's what, that's, that is what drives their practice. <laughs> they don't know the philosophy very, very much, but they like Krishna. Hmm? Um, so that would be perhaps, you know, a way of looking at it, immature form of, um, what we would, uh, sometimes refer to it without taste, Raghunuga Bhakti, because it's not really fully, fully developed. Another way of talking about it is perhaps the way Bhakti Vinodhaka is talking about it, about it there. So, uh, again, when he talks about Bhav, he's talking about the fact that the Sarup Shakti is manifesting from the beginning of our, of our practice. It's not that there's no Sarup Shakti and all of a sudden Sarup Shakti it becomes manifest. Hmm. Bhakti is constant of Shrupa Shakti. If sadhana bhakti is a form of uttam bhakti, which it, which it is, there must be some Sarup Shakti in that. Uh, if certain practices such as hearing, chanting, worshiping the deity and so forth, they, they are inherently bhakti. Whether you think of them as bhakti or not, they are inherently bhakti. So therefore, they're driven, they're, they're manifestations of Krishna's internal, internal energy. So all the devotees are hearing and chanting. Therefore, they have Bhav <laughs> in that sense. Uh, that, but they haven't attained the stage of Bhav. Does that help? Yes, that was uh, very, uh, very helpful. Thank you very much, Guru Maharaj. Okay, good to see you. Good to see you both. Hare yeah, good to see you too. Hare Bye. Okay, what else? So the next question is from Sadvi. Dhanavad Guru Maharaj. I have a question about, um, uh, because in, in the beginning of, of my like devotional path or practice, I was uh, very inclined to imitate a lot and to like, I don't know, like show off or just imagine that I'm a good devotee or something. But with the time... <laughs> It kind of, I lost that uh, um, taste for this thing, like show off or imitate and things. And uh, I'm just worried about one thing. If if I'm um, uh, like, because in the beginning when imitating like uh, this external um, desire to to engage in, in in bhakti it's very like very external but still you expose yourself to the practice but at the same time when you want now to have only substance so to say not so much form but it's it's not i feel like i'm not exposing myself so much as i used to because i wanted so much to show myself or to to show to myself that i'm so is it bad that's my wonder to like, shall I continue to try to imitate something somehow externally, although I don't have a very real, like, deep taste? Or I should concentrate really on on the substance, and even if it's, like, not so much practice, so to say, but concentrate more on the substance, on, on the essence. Do you understand what I mean, or was it... I kind of understand. I kind of understand. Um uh maybe in earlier times because you were told bhakti 
is like this and Krishna is attractive. You pretended that he was more attractive than you actually felt he was attractive. And you would run to the Arctic and jump and dance and, you know, because you were told that and you, you believe that, but you didn't feel that necessarily. And then many, many things have happened and you've grown older and so forth. And you realize you actually don't feel that strongly uh, for, for Krishna. And so what I was doing was kind of imitative in a way. And so what, if I'm understanding your question, this is what it's about. And so, but nonetheless, doing that was helpful in some ways because I exposing myself to all the practices and, and so forth. Well, there's different ways to look at that. Um, uh, it's said sometimes that uh, imitation of a good thing is a good thing. And in one sense, sadhana bhakti itself is imitation. Um, and when we go through the imitation and the practices, if you will, because we see someone else is doing that and they have bhava and I would like to get bhava, so I will do what they're doing. I act like they, they like they act. Um, and that's basically sadhana bhakti, which begets bhava bhakti. Mm. Um, even, and so, but, 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 but the imitation, the way we're going through, the, we're doing the dancing or whatever may be the case, and saying jai and, and ecstasy prabhu, and yeah, I was in ecstasy, whatever. <laughs> uh, 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 those kind of uh, statements, feelings, and activities are driven more by really by your by your intellect and actual feeling for the subject. Maybe not even your intellect, not well thought out, but by in in, in your mind, it's supposed to be. And other people seem to be feeling it like that. I should too, or something like that. I don't know. Uh, so I think that. <laughs> There's a fine line there between imitation is a good thing and then imitation becomes a bad thing also. Hmm. Um, there's a couple of things that you mentioned. One, one thing I should say in particular is that, uh, in, in, in the context of imitating, let's say, um, you, you seem to indicate that, um, Maybe you were drawing attention to yourself or uh, that you know, just see I'm a more advanced devotee and that, uh, that kind of thing is not, not good. So, you, you know, you have to, you have to watch that. Um, I think it's, it's, it's good to merge ourselves in the practices, even though we don't have the taste and be imitative in that sense. Uh, but, um, not in the way that we be take we're taken in by our imitations to think that they're more than what they are, mm-hmm. and and as we consider ourselves to be um, more advanced um, than we are, not now we're now suddenly in the context of imitating, we're cultivating a weed mm-hmm. rather than the than, than the flower of bhakti itself. Mm-hmm. So you have to be active. With the mind analyzing and so forth, and and um, and as you advance, I think you will you will you will begin to realize how how 
unadvanced you you are that's a good uh, uh, a, a good a good start if you will the closer you come to krishna the smaller you know the infinite the closer you come to the infinite the more finite you begin to feel um but you feel the infinite is not just an infinite void but infinite love and grace and so you feel blessed at the same time so i would hesitate to um to tell you not to um apply yourself and all the practices with whatever kind of wherever you can gather the enthusiasm uh, to do so but at the same time to to watch your mind and yourself uh, and 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 be careful that you don't begin um cultivating a weed in the name of cultivating um bhakti if you know what you're doing um you know, i mean you, you say i realize i love don't have taste but i used to go to the rt because i didn't have i didn't have taste but i pretended that i did is it better for me to go to the Arctic and pretend that I have a taste, or is it better for me to realize that I don't don't go to the Arctic? I don't think the latter is a very good idea. Mm. Um, but I but it, but now that you've understood it, you can imitate with, without it becoming a problem. That's what I would say. Does that help? Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Very much. I have a follow up on that one. Okay. Um, so, like, my understanding of Sattva's question is that it's a lot easier to imitate when you believe in your own lie, right? Because that's where you get the uh, the enthousi- enthusiasm to push beyond the Audi car. So then maybe I'm not right about this, but the way I understood Sattva's question is that it's kind of like either or. Like, either you cheat yourself and you get that enthusiasm from the fact that you get a certain self-image for thinking about yourself as more advanced or you realize you're not advanced and it automatically takes down your enthusiasm because it lowers your self-image as a devotee but then you have to have a more mature enthusiasm enthusiasm based on understanding hmm, that these practices are such that if i avail myself to them taste will come therefore I should enthusiastically participate in the practices hmm, because taste will come so that's why I say that even that's an imitation, but it's different than imitating that it will have negative effects. And it will take more devotion, more more thoughtful, uh, introspective participation in the practices. Does that help? Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. a lot easier said than done when you realize that you actually don't have taste and then you're supposed to imitate while knowing that you're imitating but i guess this that's just like a phase that you have to push through there's no way around it right well yeah it's it's faith but it's also the intelligence and the conviction for example that uh to use the um analogy of rupa goswami with regard to taste for harinam uh, one may not have taste and the reason is not because the name is not sweet as I can see in 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 our Guru Parampara, we can see in the person of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he, just by chanting the name, what happened to him. So I have a conviction, given the theology of the name, the philosophy that underlies bhakti and so forth, that the, 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 the name, using that example, has this kind of power. Now, I don't have a taste for it. 
And the, and the analogy is, well, just like if you have jaundice, then sugarcane will not taste sweet. Uh, so now, um, probably everybody is convinced that sugarcane is sweet, right? Right. Of course, you've tasted it, so you know, but you may not have tasted it, but you, you, you believe other people who tasted sugar, you know, whatever, refined sugarcane. Um, but anyway, um, if you have the, uh, if you, if you have the conviction philosophically, theologically, that Krishna's nam is, is, is sweet, it has that power. I've got so many examples. There's so much of the, the sacred texts are all pointing in that direction, emphasizing this again and again. Okay. It makes sense. And, and, uh, and that, um, uh, and I also have conviction on the other side. That I am afflicted by the, the, the jaundice, if you will, of, of, of avidya, of ignorance. I have no doubt about that. So I put the two things together. That should be, that should motivate me to practice. It's, it, it may be, and that may require more devotion and more effort than going about it less mindfully, if you will, which can, uh, turn into all kinds of other, uh, problems that we see false enthusiasm, utsavamai, and, and the pride may arise from that, and, 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 and so forth. The next thing you know, you find yourself doing things that, um, <clears throat> that are unfavorable for bhakti and, 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 and just having uh, embraces some kind of dogma and not any change and, and so on. So that's my answer. Helpful. It'd be also accurate to say that that's kind of like the phase where humility becomes like important for your sadhana for the first time in a way. Like when you hit that logs, then you have to admit that you actually have no taste and to deal with it, you have to lower your, uh, kind of external idea of yourself or something. Yes. Very good. Mm-hmm. You realize that humble, humble, humble position is 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 the reality. <laughs> it's not like to imitate humility. Oh, please accept my humble obeisances, Prabhu. Mm. Just see how I offered my obeisances. <laughs> you actually understand. Then humility becomes natural and spontaneous. So we want spontaneous humility, something like that. That becomes then a very powerful motive for practicing. Nice. Good. Very good. Okay. Okay. The next question is from Gayatri. Hi, Krishna Gomaj. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it seems like my question is kind of building on what you've already spoken about, what that we asked and Gurunishka as well. But I'm going to ask it anyways. And it's in regards to prayer. So as you might remember, I'm taking care of uh, my friend's deities for a few months. So I'm spending some time in front of the altar. And I'm kind of lying there on the ground, head down, and I just find my mind being completely empty. 
it's, it's kind of heartbreaking. But it's like, I don't even know what to ask for, you know? I don't want to ask for things, but I just realized that it's like, there's no devotion there. I don't even know what to pray for. And I just want to hear some advice, like, what are we actually to ask Krishna for? It's not material things, but like, how do we pray to, I don't know, for like, for for devotion, for enthusiasm, for the, I don't know, for the will to like, be better um, in a spiritual life. Well, I would say in the least, we, we, we could pray for material things. That's not the highest ideal. We've talked about that before. And if you're going to pray for material things, pray to Krishna for them. I've known some devotees that thought, hmm, I shouldn't pray to Krishna for material things, but I want them, therefore I'll become a devotee of Lord Shiva. Because, <laughs> no, you shouldn't think like that. Even Shiva's ability to, or any other god or goddess to, to bestow any benediction comes from Krishna himself. So, therefore the Bhagavatam says, whether you have all desires, no desires, or desire for mukti, whatever it is, you should do bhakti yoga to Krishna, which would mean you aspire for desire of those things. Now, of course, we we learn that the, that ideally, hmm, Krishna has something to give that's much greater than ordinary things, or even freedom from those things which is mukti he has himself to give hmm. wow and so we, we should approach with that in mind hmm. um, when I was very young <laughs> what I would pray for was kind of strange in a way but uh, after every every round I'd pay my obeisances and I would pray to Krishna to uh, that, that I could be sincere about being sincere. That was my prayer for years. That I could be sincere about being sincere. Just to say, but that's what I, how I kind of perceived myself. I'm probably pretty accurate. Um, and it was very uh, effective. Um, so um, you can try that. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, you know, if, not, if you really genuinely feel that you don't have any devotion, any feeling, Puja Pachita Maharaj used to say, you know, this is a sign of real devotion. And one devotee said, but Guru Maharaj, what if we really don't feel? He said, really? You really? And he was really making progress. So, uh, you know, it's like coming from negative numbers to zero. Hmm? If you realize, well, you realize, well, I'm just, I'm just in negative numbers, and, and you know, that's where I'm at. Um, that it's like in a, you know, in a, if you're addicted to a drug, the beginning to the, the the cure is to recognize that you've got the problem. To the extent that you don't recognize you have a problem, you cannot take up the the, the means to cure yourself because you think, well, I'm not really addicted, you know. I could give it up. And at a certain point, you realize you, you, you can't. You actually have this thing called addiction. And it needs to be a treatment. So, so yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a long period where there, there, um, there may be a period in the beginning where there'd be a taste because Krishna is very generous to get us going. 
we know that that that's real, but to have a real and enduring, reliable taste and real feeling for bhakti, well, there are a lot of things that are in the way of that: our anarthas, our attachments, um, and so on and so forth, and uh, which which don't enable our which get in the way of our practice being committed, steady, consistent, um, and so forth. Which, if it was, would beget a taste that was reliable. So we want to play, pray for the steadiness of practice that it will result be a result of letting things go that are that are getting in my way. And 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 subsequently the taste that will arise from that will be, will be reliable and enduring. So something along those those lines. But it's not bad to acknowledge that you don't have a taste. I'm here I'm laying down for the but I really don't have any feeling. I don't know what to ask for. I don't even know what I'm doing here exactly. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I, I do it philosophically, but it, it it doesn't you know maybe correspond with my uh, feelings um, but I'm going through the motions so it, it's good to recognize that but then understand why and how that what, what that will beget in due course if one continues along that uh, that path so it's related to the previous question mm-hmm. hope so that helps do, go ahead yeah what what do we do we just yeah, just pray for steadiness to continue and then for faith and yeah. practice. For faith, increase your faith, increase your understanding, to give you a taste, pray for a taste. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have confidence the, 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 these practices are what they say they are. Let, let that become an experienced reality for myself. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Pray like that. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Guma. Okay. Yeah. Next. Okay, the next question is from Madhu Mangal Radhakanta. He asks, um, I'll kind of go slow so that Shamsundar can keep up with me. Is Balaram's consort Revati an expansion, expansion of Radha? Also, does Revati have a particular specific purpose? Well, we would consider all of the consorts, if you will, of Bhagwan, all of his different uh, manifestations, expansions, and avatars uh, to be expansions of Radha, just like Krishna is the Swayam Bhagavan, we consider her to be the Swayam Shakti. So um, uh, she's there in another form for the queens of Dwarf, in another form for Narayan, Vaikuntha, and so forth. Malaram is a bit peculiar because amongst the different um, um, expansions and avatars of Krishna, Malaram is his expansion, but he also appears as the first uh, avatar as Mahavishnu. Um, he's peculiar in that um, he is the one uh, expansion of Krishna who is not emotionally complete without Krishna. The others are all emotionally complete. Narayan is emotionally complete 
in himself. He doesn't have all the emotions of Krishna, you know, and taste all the rasas, but he's emotionally complete in himself, similar with his avatars. Balaram is not emotionally complete without his connection and fraternal love to Krishna. So that is our uh, focus on that's the full face of Balaram. And therefore you often find, obviously, or you do find wherever Vishnu is manifest, manifest with, uh, with Lakshmi in one form or another, that Balaram is there as a third person that in this sense, in this case, is not a crowd. It's said in love three is a crowd, but there's always room for between the love between Lakshmi and Orion or uh, uh, any of his avatars for the third person to be there in the form of Anantasesh, who becomes a facilitator. And here he's assisting in a, an assisting role. So when we want to look at him separately from that assisting role, right, we try to separate him from that. Revati Ram, you know, let's say, um, for example, and emphasize that. Then we're moving away a little bit from from the focus of Gaudiya Vaishnavism on Balaram, which gives the full picture. But Rebati is the consort of Balaram in in Dwarka, um, uh, and um, he accepted that um, relationship with the behest of Krishna. Um, but again, it's 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 not a brudge. Uh, uh, form of Balaram there in Dwarka his um, service or dasya component of his in his bab is more more prominent than than the Sakya bab, which is really the defining emotional um, defining emotion of Balaram. So when it's when it's when it's suppressed by the dasya, then uh, you know, we, we're looking at Mahasankarshan, Mool Sankarshan. Mm-hmm. Looking at Mool, that is Mool Sankarshan. Just like, uh, Dwarkanath Krishna is not as full as Prajendanandan Krishna, mm-hmm. if you will. So, therefore, we don't give a lot of attention to Revati Ram relationship. Um, um, in comparison to the uh, fraternal love that Balaram expresses for Krishna. I hope that helps. Okay, thank you very much. And the next question is from Ganga Shakti from Munich. She says, Pranam Guru Maharaj. In your Bhagavad Gita, you say that it is about slaying material attachments also to family members in Arjun's case, and that in order to progress in our spiritual life, we should overcome the material ego, something that definitely resonates with me. However, how can we find a healthy balance between these aspirations and our our worldly duties to family members? My case is probably more extreme than most, as I am a single parent and solely responsible for a teenager with rather serious issues that take up most of my time and mental energy besides work. Thank you very much. 
Well, I think that, uh, you know, the material situation that you get yourself into in the context of bhakti, you have to deal with responsibly. Mm-hmm. And that's something that uh, evolved out of a necessity that you have that bhakti can digest, given its power, uh, family life, um, is, is, is what I mean by that. And the implications of that and um, the distractions that it can um, uh, give rise to. Um, not, uh, you know, every child is not uh, pure devotee and, <laughs> and, and, and just becomes uh, a uh, member of the congregation, if you will, in your house. Uh, they have other desires that uh, karmic trajectory and so on and so forth. And, as it manifests, well, um, one can't uh, neglect them. One can feel, I guess, as you're alluding uh, to that, oh, I'm doing this over here. It's not bhakti. But it said I should give up my material attachments. How do I balance these two things? I, I think you have to balance it out by understanding it for what it is. And, and, um, um, showing affection and uh, functioning dutifully in your role as a mother to your child um, until she or he becomes, you know, an, an adult, and you fulfilled that uh, that responsibility. And um, and uh, and you have to do that. Um, in a in, in a mood of to use a term of Baladevi Bhushan, um, what does he say? Sanishta. Uh, what is his terms? Parinishta. 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 Nirapeksha. So the Sanishta is a devotee who has material desires. It's doing bhakti. Um, for some material gain, amongst other things, uh, 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 kind of uh, uh, distracted, like the demigods. Uh, and then you have on the other end of the spectrum, the near Petra, who's a renunciate, right? Living as a monastic uh, in the woods or whatever, in the forest. And in between that, you have what Bhakti, uh, Bhakti refers to as the Parinishta, who is a householder, who follows, this is in a Varnashram society, but it applies to what we're talking about as well, um, the Dharma, uh, as it applies to his family life in Varnashram, there are different, uh, you know, you gotta have this some scar for your child, you gotta to see to your child's wedding, you gotta to go to your father's funeral, your wife's father's funeral, and all these things. I mean, what does that have to do with bhakti? It doesn't really have anything to do with bhakti. But one can carry them out uh dutifully, and one should in that position, um to set an example for others. Of course, in the way that Baladeva Bhutan was talking about it, it's in a Varnashram society, and so people will not think that bhakti is 
is a foregoing of you know all the moral norms and everyday life and uh and irresponsible and so on and so forth um if you're an irrepetuous another thing you're a freak of nature so you know well the average person who's got a family can't can't act like that if they're dismissive of or uh, or they're not responsible in terms of duties to their children and their partner and so on and so forth what kind of example is that for people in general how will they be uh, then inclined to or inspired to take up devotion therefore the near affection devotee should dutifully carry out all of those acts without attachment to them hmm? uh, as responsibilities duties from the worldly point of view that i've um gotten maybe i felt as i've said before one feels that that they would be more whole in a relationship and then more uh better suited emotionally to practice bhakti uh and maybe to have a child and so forth but then you know, they're, you know <laughs> it turns out well it didn't all work out in a fairy tale way that exactly the way i, I wanted it um and husband could leave you you could have one child the child could be disobedient or could have other you know issues that are very um time consuming for you to deal with and so forth but that that's your fate <clears throat> and um while marrying and having children was, was emotionally fulfilling and dealt with issues that were troubling you and, and getting in the way of your being able to practice without them they have bring the, they bring their own problems you know with them at the same time but if you know having that uh, emotional fulfillment that most people need to have a partner let's say um and maybe to have, have have children which bhakti can digest uh enabled you then to not have to be preoccupied with looking for a partner and all that stuff and then that's very consuming uh then you invest that energy in in bhakti get some standing in bhakti and then when the problems come <laughs> uh which is practically in, in, inevitable then you're in a better position to deal with them um um and how you deal with them so you have to you have to dutifully um um attend to the responsibilities that come with childbearing which means raising children and if if, if they're particularly uh say that they're handicapped or something psychologically or physically well it's going to be the more time consuming and so forth but that's your that's your fate you know that you, you have to you have to you know, tend to that and you have to tend to that very nicely expertly uh and so forth and set a good example but you know you have to know at the same time this isn't inherently uh bhakti it's not enhancing my bhakti um necessarily um it you could it could enhance your bhakti by doing it dutifully without attachment uh to the results there's a difference i think between a person an ordinary person being in that situation and a devotee like yourself being in that situation you're in a position to be able to dutifully attend to the necessity at hand and not and not be attached to the result because you've got another philosophical world view that you're uh, that, that you're 
uh, situated in. So you do the best according to the situation, but you understand it for what it is. Somebody else is understanding it as the all in all. So they rise and fall with all the, you know, everything that comes with it. Uh, uh, you know, and, and they have hopes and aspirations and then disappointments that, that overwhelm them and so forth. So if one is more philosophically situated uh, and, and situated in bhakti, one can carry out those things and, and not be carried away by the ups of it, the downs of it, and so forth. It's just, this is my fate. I'm doing this. I do it responsibly. I do it uh, with uh, um, regard to children, feeling for them and concern and so forth. But um, my ideal is is uh, something uh, that transcends this. It's more than this. It's 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 the bigger picture. You have to stay within the bigger picture and do those things. And I shouldn't think, and this is probably the problem that a lot of devotees have, but how, I'm, I'm doing one thing, and the, but the scripture says this, I should give up, and, I, and I'm not. And by doing so, don't waste mental energy on that. Do the things. Those things are all there. They're a calling hmm, that, that, that you have, whether it's a child or a pet or whatever it is. You got to take care of them. Hmm? And um, yeah, it's not like going to Arctic to uh, clean your, you know, children's diapers or, or whatever. But that, you know, uh, you, you should do it and do it nicely and feelingfully and so forth. But, um, but still, you're detached from the result. Your whole result of your life, in other words, is not that. Your whole life doesn't matter. That's not the, the whole some substance of how well it goes or how bad it goes uh, is not what your life is about. It's something that's come within the orbit of your life as a sadhaka that was needed by you emotionally and had a benefit and has a downside and you're dealing dutifully with 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 and responsibly with the downside and you're, you know, you're any of you, all of you, Ganga Shakti and all, you know, uh, the legal age in, in, in this country is 18 years old. I mean, I mean, I was out of the house before I was 18. So, it, you know, it, it, it's, uh, you know, uh, usually after they turn 18, 19, they only want to be connected with you if they, if they need something. Otherwise, <laughs> they want to you know, pursue their own, their own life and so forth. So there's a point where, you know, your, your responsibility becomes, less and you're still young let's say you got married at you know at 25 let's say for example and you're and 20 years later you're 45 well, look i'm 74 so i can tell you 45 is really young <laughs> it's really young and you gotta you've had a lot of you know a fair amount of experience in life and you're in a really good position to put into practice excuse seen through the family life responsibilities the distractions and so forth all that has run its course you did a job as best you could and you still chanted your rounds and everything <laughs> whatever it, 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 so um, um you have that you know to look forward to you're, you're single so you're not having any more children and um and uh, there's plenty of time for you to you know turn um, from your present uh, position to a more 
exclusive, if you will, uh, uh, overtly devotional um, um, uh, way uh, way forward. And I think you should look forward to something like that. Uh, you know, call it Vana Prosta or whatever, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But um, um, that's how I would, I would look at it. Don't get neurotic about it. That uh, here, the Bhagavad Gita says I should give up attachments, but here I'm. How can I give it up? If I give up my attachment to my daughter, who's underage or who's like this or that, what will happen? You know, no, you have to. You, you have an obligation to them. Bhakti Mano took care of what twelve or fourteen children, so <laughs> quite a handful. Uh, and in the end, you know, last four years of his life, and he had nothing to do. With it. it was all done. You know, that was all done. Of course, he was writing books in the meantime and everything, but he was dutifully engaged as a, as as a as a, as a job with the government and and so on and so forth. So it's, it's a prop kind of we need a holistic organic understanding of bhakti not a like you know okay a uh, credit card understanding i've got it, i'm going to buy it now i'll pay later uh you know it, it, it's uh you have to have an integrated um and organic and holistic understanding of how this has come to you where you are in it and, and be at peace with yourself hmm? um in terms of where you're at that you're not you know chanting uh, 64 rounds a day and, and just, uh, uh, um, hearing and chanting and, and, and whatever be it, you know, that, that's not your position at this point. And that's okay. Now, that doesn't, that's not an excuse for being lax and sort of put within your own situation. You know, you can't be lax. You have to apply yourself. So I hope that's helpful. Okay, thank you very much. The next question is from Rajahari. He says, can we talk to others about Krishna at any point in the bhakti process or must we have a particular qualification to do so? Thank you very much. Well, I think that um, we can talk to Krishna, about Krishna to anyone. Um, and we'll be able to do so effectively relative to our standing in bhakti or our adhikar. So naturally the things that are exciting to us that uh, drive our life, that um, are our main focus and preoccupation is something that we want to share. And we'll find that we can only share it with like-minded persons so we may find the persons that previously I was like-minded with for other reasons. Now that I'm a devotee, I can't share in the same way. I can't be as close with them, others. But 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 I can find out who I am close with by sharing my inspiration about Krishna and his teaching and so forth, and uh, see where where it lands. So I think that it, it's just very natural even for a very beginning person who's not even initiated, who went to the temple and got enthusiastic and saw the beautiful deity and heard the lecture to go and tell somebody else about it. There's no restriction on them on them doing so, right? Um, but the extent to which they can effectively share what Krishna's like is relative to, to their, their own adhikar, 
or understand, eligibility and understanding. Um, so, um, if we, of course, if we find people are not um, receptive, and if we feel limited in our capacity to explain Krishna consciousness to others as we grow and understand how how how, how deep it all is and so forth, then then we may think, of, let me become more spiritually advanced before I, you know, try to to preach that this this to others. Maybe that's what you're speaking of. There may be um, a sense like that that arises. Um, still, you know, you can share something with somebody. Um, um, it was a there was a strong tendency in uh, in a ISKCON when I was a member uh, of the guidance of Prophet for everybody to preach to anybody and everybody. Um, um, and but we really only preached according to our understanding. We did so enthusiastically, and we may understand very much more now, but not be able to share that very much more with with everybody. So, uh, yeah. Um, but you know, basically, no. There's uh, depends, I guess, what level you're talking about. Uh, should I talk about Krishna with others, or should I, you know, wait till I have more adhikar? Depends what level you want to talk. You want to give classes, then you might feel I need more adhikar, and let others who have more adhikar uh, do that. So there's 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 a, there's a place for that. Um, still, you may find yourself in a situation where you. You certainly have the Adi card to share on some level with with the persons that you may be with, certain circumstances, and you know if the situation presents itself, then it would be uh, would be appropriate to to share with them. Uh, without fully understanding, maybe a question I've tried to answer as best I can. If there's some uh, something more that you want to say to clarify your question, that I may be able to weigh in on. I'd be happy to do so. Okay. Uh, actually, I had a follow-up on that. Uh, some time ago, a few weeks ago, one of the members of our sangha wrote this question on our the Shichitna Sangha Facebook page. He was talking about how um, in he lives in a small town and uh, there's a lot of people who are not, they're kind of like evangelical Christians and stuff like that all kind of like, um, yeah, people who are not interested in like alternative spirituality and he wanted to share Krishna consciousness with them. And so he was asking for uh, some kind of advice from the other devotees, how should he do it? And he got a lot of these kind of uh, responses that says, like, just give a good example. Don't try to tell them anything about Krishna, just like be a good person. And the way I saw that, to me, it felt like it's a little out of balance to the other extreme. Like, I know you've said a lot of things like that, and my understanding is that you said them because you try to counterbalance this like super evangelical kind of like exactly what you're describing. So is that really what you want out of your disciples that we don't say anything about Krishna? We just give a good example or like, could you say something about that? Well, it might be a good example to say something about Krishna. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you're recognizing a, an extreme take on something I said that, that takes a little bit out of balance. Uh, you know, in a community like that, some people are going to be more thoughtful than others. And there's, there's certainly ways to connect with them on, on principles of their own faith. 
and then plumb the depths of what the implications of that are, and then demonstrate how you know to apply to yourself in your own faith as well, and find common ground and so forth. Uh, so if if you're so disposed and you want to share, then there's there's a, there's a thoughtful way to do that, and then there's a mindless way to do that that's that's you want to militate against, if you will, and emphasize example. Both things should be there. Nice, thank you. Kishore uh, has a follow-up question. What do you think of devotees keeping their guru a secret? Well, there is a statement like that in the Shastra. Um, and um, I think that there's a principle involved there. And the principle could be achieved by not um, concealing one's guru as much as it could by concealing um, one's guru. Um, Sometimes if you conceal something, it becomes more attractive. And it, it creates more interest and so forth, right? So, um, rather than going and, you know, in, 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 in the, the opposite of that would be that you go beat everybody over the head with your guru is the best guru and, 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 and nobody wants to associate with him then. It's like, uh, uh, something like that. So I think that that, that statement is kind of counterbalance other extreme to, that which is distasteful and um and uh there's a saying in the bible you know don't put pearls before the swine something like that um you keep it internal but that will create an attraction mm-hmm. people will want to know there must be some point that you don't you're, you're not bound by it never tell anybody who your guru is that you know that would be a misunderstanding of the statement so I think it is to to, to generate uh, respect yourself for your own guru and 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 to also to um, create some kind of mystique and, and, and attraction um, in, in in others. We should look try to look at the principle there, and. Um, you know, this is something—a statement that's said in, you know, in in in, a, in some sacred text. Um, I don't know which one. Um, among other things that one should keep hidden, um, um, maybe one extent, one to practice. One should boast about it. Um, you know, my guru is great. Often means. If you read between the lines, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great. So that should be, you know, avoided. Um, but, you know, this is a, again a statement from some text in India, in India where the guru, there are gurus, all kinds of gurus. And, you know, then you have a situation where Prophet comes to the United States, there are no gurus of Gaudi Vaishnavism, he's the only one. And how are you going to hide that fact that, you know, he's your guru? And, uh, and you know it's a new experiment in new circumstances. His picture is on the altar. And when this statement was made, there were no cameras. You know, 
you take pictures of your guru and put them on the altar. So, you know, there are statements to the converse, you know, that one who says he's my devotee is not my devotee, Krishna says, one who says he's a devotee of my devotee is my devotee. Therefore, the glorification of the devotee, the glorification of the Vaishnava, how many statements are there to that effect that the Vaishnava should be glorified? And you need, so you, you, you know, you, you find in our parampara using the modern instruments and technology, pictures of gurus are taken now and they're put on altars and, and so on. So you're not um, hiding the guru. But so I think the, you know, again, the way that, uh, it, in one sense, what's being said is one should not, um, um, this is a sacred thing. This is my internal life, and who I will share that with. Um, it's not just anybody and everybody necessarily. Um, and um, that doesn't mean there isn't a place for the sharing. There is. What else? Well, I guess we're out of time now, huh? There's actually one short question from Madhunam from Chile, if you want to take it. Okay. Uh, he says, why do some Gaudiya Vaishnavas worship only Jagannath on the altar, meaning no Baladeva uh, and Subhadra? For example, Srila Bhakti promote Purimaharjas. In some of his temples, they only keep Lord Jagannath on the side of the altar. Well, there's probably not room for the other two. <laughs> Uh, may be the case. Uh, um, and, uh, I mean, Jagannath is the central focus of the three amongst Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Vaishnavs typically, uh, in Radha Bhav, for example, your focus is not going to be to the same extent on Balaram as it would be in Sakuras, Krishna and Balaram together. Um, um, you know, one could ask, why are there, you know, Krishna Balaram temples, but, you know, without Subhadra, you know, you know, it's because of the particular focus. So I think the Madhurya Rasa focus, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu looked at the altar, he really only saw Jagannath. Now, you know, to see Jagannath is to see the others as well. In light, of Jagannath's position and so forth. There's another way to see them is more prominently. I'm giving an example. If you want to see Krishna Balaram, you're going to see in Sakura, so you're going to see them more prominently than in Madhuras, you're going to see Krishna Balaram a little bit differently. Um, you're going to see that Krishna looks more beautiful in the, in the presence of of uh, of, uh, of, of ball around it's nothing this one says so something to that effect so um yeah i have something along those lines um we promote buddhism worship for godadhar um we probably was thinking of chaitanya mahabhu and rathiyatra saw krishna uh, he saw Krishna, he saw Jagannath in different ways, but the primary way that he saw him was wearing a peacock feather and holding a flute. So, 
that's not how most people see Jaga. That's not how he's dressed and decorated. But Jack and the Mahaprabhu saw that. So they're focusing on that particular, you know, vision hmm, and putting him there, something like that. Which means, as I've said before, Dwarka is a moment, Jagannath Puri is a moment in the Dwarka Leela. That moment in the Dwarka Leela where Krishna is remembering Vrindavan hmm, and yearning to return there. And Balaram and Subhadra only transform upon seeing him. Hmm, seeing that happen to him, it happens to them. So he's the central focus. To extract him out and put him there. It's, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And that may be some of the thoughts uh, behind it. Thank you for the question. So I think we're, we're reached the end of the time today. Nice to be with you all. Hope to be with you next week. Gore Bhaktivinda Kijai. Go to Premanand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.